Hey folks, it is Lisa Anderson with Boundless, and the day has come for you to take our Boundless survey. This is the one, I think I mentioned it a few months ago, but we only do this like every six years, okay? So boundless.org slash survey is where you're going to go. Grab a snack, sit down, put your thinking cap on, because this is your opportunity to tell us everything that you want to tell us about your experience with Boundless, about yourself. We're going to ask you questions about what you're up to, what you're into. Uh, Just we want to get to know you better. And so boundless.org slash survey. Take the survey. uh, Be part of the Boundless family in communicating kind of where you are right now and kind of who you are. And so we will take all those results and use them to build Boundless uh, throughout the remainder of this year and into next year and hopefully serve you even better. And so go today, right now, boundless.org slash survey. Thanks in advance. Boundless Show. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And as always, a little preview of what's coming up. First up for our inbox later on, a listener heard our recent interview with J.P. Pakluda about dating, and she wants some clarification on something he said because she lives in a small town, feels like her chances of meeting someone are pretty slim, and so she's like, um, does this apply to me? So I'm going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture, Jeff Grinnell is here to discuss how to honor God with your sexuality, especially in light of today's culture, and explain just some of the cultural waves that young adults are faced with today. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and this is something, um, the specific topic is something we have never covered on The Boundless Show, though we have talked about uh, the issue of prayer a lot, but we're going to talk specifically about prayer requests. So this is going to be like a fun conversation with also, you know, some hints of seriousness, because obviously God loves prayer as believers. Thank goodness we're allowed to pray and communicate with God and have access to him. So that's fabulous. Um, but it's kind of like navigating that awkward, like when someone asks you to pray for them, or maybe it's like digital, like it's something online or on social media. I mean, can, you can't pray for the whole world and everyone's concerned. So how do you narrow it down? But then it seems kind of awkward to have this hierarchy of prayer, <laughs> like some people you pray for, some people you don't. So super weird. We got to figure it out. Uh, so fortunately, we have got Emily, Ray, Austin, and James here. Hey, y'all. Hey. hey. Hello. 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 All right. Um, so, of course, I had to invite you guys here because you're just prayer warriors and you're just amazing and you pray like 24-7. So mm. that, oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I didn't set up a litmus test yet. So uh, we'll see. You know, maybe I'll just impromptu ask you guys to pray about something and see how you do. <laughs> no, um, but let's talk. Let's jump into this idea of praying, uh, not only for ourselves, but specifically for other people and other requests. And so when you guys maybe give us a little glimpse into like your experience with this both now and in the past like your kind of the vibe you get around the whole sharing prayer requests whether it's at church in small group individually with someone what does this look like for you in your experience just kind of paint us a brief picture so prayer requests have always been a little bit awkward for me so when I was in uh, Sunday school when I was younger, I was always super nervous that someone was going to point at me and say, hey, you write the request on the board. 
and I stink at spelling. So I was afraid <laughs> I was going to like misspell sickness or misspell Jennifer or misspell like some words. And I'm like, please, Lord, please, Lord, I'd pray not to get picked. <laughs> okay, that's kind of legit. I mean, I feel like there's some trauma that still hasn't been resolved. Off I think of that. so. <laughs> okay, Austin, how about you? Yeah, um, this is something that I like to say that maybe I'm a professional prayer request taker at Focus on the Family. <laughs> I uh, talk with donors um, primarily on the phone, and it's literally just like, hey, how can I pray for you today? Huh. And so it's like majority of my day doing this. And I think something that I've just found out uh, is just a lot of times people just want to be heard. People just want to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things about prayer requests is being like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I have a God who does. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we go to God in prayer and lift a request to him. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I definitely second that listening part. I uh, did an internship in 2020 as a hospital chaplain uh, for for a thing with my church. And, you know, part of that is learning how to listen to people's prayer requests. So you find out, yeah, a lot of them want to be heard. But you also find out that sometimes there's an opportunity to actually help them with something they're asking about. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, pray that... I'll be able to talk to my family because they don't know I'm in here. It's like, hmm. yeah, I'll pray for that. By the way, have you called them? <laughs> you know, have you let them know? And they're like, well, no, I haven't. And you get to sometimes offer some practical uh, suggestions to them. And that's kind of cool because in a way we get to participate with God in answering prayer requests sometimes, you know, in that way. Yeah. Let's um, talk a little bit about like what, you know, it's kind of, you you all touched on this. Um, Emily Ray kind of talked about some of the fears around praying or praying in public, being asked Mm -hmm. to do that. But then there's also a privilege in prayer as well. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like when someone, when someone's talking to me, I think one of the big learnings I've had recently uh, in recent years is someone's talking to me and I sense that there's a definite prayer request there. And the opportunities that I've had just to stop right then and pray for someone is, is good. I mean, because again, we all want to say like, oh, I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that. But then we get into like our day and we just kind of get distracted and maybe they're not top of mind or whatever. So to be able to like just put your hand on someone's shoulder and say, I want to pray with you about this right now is great. The converse of that for me, like awkward and prayer that I don't like doing is um, I have gone to church prayer meetings where they give you like the sheet of all the prayer requests. And then it's literally just like pick one and stand up and pray in front of everyone. And I spend like, you know, the first 10 minutes being angsty about which one should I pray for? What can I legitimately pray for and not say something wrong? Am I going to be able to get this prayer in before someone else grabs this request? And then I'm going to be left with like the you know, bottom of the barrel ones that no one else wanted to pray. Just I go into a whole weird internal thing about it. And so, I mean, corporate prayer, like in churches, even when it's in like small groups where we break into groups, I'm like, here we go. We all got to pray because, you know, you have to pray. Otherwise, they're going to be like, "Mm, she's not a woman of prayer, (laughs) you know, and you get into all weird stuff with that. But what would you guys say? Where do you where do you find yourself loving to pray and you feel like you've really um you know, it's it's really been an opportunity for you to serve others. And then where would you say prayer, either personally or corporately in the church, has gotten kind of weird? Well, I'm a very forgetful person. And so if I don't pray for someone on the spot, I'm not going to do it. If you ever hear people and they're like, hey, can you just pray for me in this? And be like, oh, I'll definitely pray for you. Or it's like on social media and be like, they'll do a prayer request. 
and then no one ever prays for it or you just forget about it. It's like, yeah. I feel like the awkward part is like, man, if I don't actually pray for them on the spot right here, it's never going to happen for me. So I don't no, know. That's a little I, bit of a I just connection. don't even trust people to pray for me because yeah. I'm like, I know <laughs> Definitely. there are a few people that I know. I have this super saints list that I know I can put this out there. They're totally going to pray for it. But then everyone else, I'm like, you're such a joker. You're not going to pray. And so yeah. then I get all judgy. So that's a good point. Yeah. Awesome. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Or sometimes you don't uh, want to burden people, and uh-huh. so you don't always give them their prayer requests. That's but go true. ahead. Right. I was just going to say, sometimes I um, ask for prayer requests on Boundless, and when I ask for them, I'll try to make sure that, like on Instagram, right, so people can type their short prayer requests. And I'll respond with very short, but it's a it's a short little prayer. So I'll respond as soon as I see them to let them know, yeah, I did pray for you. So I try when I see something on social media, I'll pray. And the thing is, for me, that's been helpful you know, wordy prayers are hard because you're trying to sound nice and eloquent. <laughs> and if you just heard me talk earlier on the podcast, it wasn't that eloquent or nice. Um, so trying to, you know, do that in a prayer and make it sound all fancy, it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure. So what I've done, at least in my head, like, I don't always do a long, fancy prayer. When I see a prayer request, I'll do something short. I learned from the Desert Fathers. And Dave, there is your mention because this is Dave's last time recording this podcast. So shout out to him because he yeah. asked for a Desert Father reference. Uh. So anyways, <laughs> I, nice. uh, I take uh, you know their example by saying the Jesus prayer, right? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on, and then whoever the prayer request is for, and I'll think about their specific situation. So I, you know, I hand it over to God, but it doesn't have to be a long wordy thing, but I am sincerely offering a prayer in my heart for that person. Yeah. And James, you are very good about that, about being faithful and taking systematic prayer requests. So those of you who are listening, um, when you do hit us up on social, on Instagram or whatever, James really does, you know, eyes are going to be on every single one of those. And another example is when we very directly tried to... um, pray for people over Christmas cards. Hmm. We say, send in a Christmas card. And especially if you, you know, we want you to put a photo there so we have a name and a face and we can pray for you heading into the new year. That's a fun thing we do at Boundless. So yeah, that's awesome. All right. Any other awkwardnesses or things where you felt like, oh, I really felt like that prayer was meaningful. And it could have been prayed for you too. One thing that I've seen whenever I get prayer requests sometimes is like, it's so broad. I don't really know how to approach it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, pray for my friend thank you (laughs) like okay i'll pray for your friend i don't know what to pray for or who this friend is or why i'm praying or what how do i approach this well and i think that's hard for me because i am a very big picture person but i i like some context and so whenever i get a very broad question to have uh like prayer over i'm like why okay lord you know what they mean i have no clue so do your thing (laughs) yeah okay so that brings up two um awkward types of prayers that i want us to address uh one is the unspoken prayer request so i was actually you know in my role here at focus i often give uh the devotions for other departments here and one time I was called in uh, to give devotions for our night custodians who start at like 4 p.m. So I go in and they're all gathered around the table. And first off, um, within the first five minutes, one of them fell asleep and started snoring. So that <laughs> in and of itself was rough. But then when I asked for prayer requests, it was like this woman across the table was like, I just have an unspoken. And I was like, OK, cool. You know, we'll mention that. And then another guy was like, unspoken. 
And then two other people were just like <laughs> unspoken. No one had an actual like listed out prayer request. I just prayed for unspoken. So that was kind of weird. The other thing that kind of gets awkward is sometimes prayers done to us. And that's when someone comes up and says, um, I would just like to pray a word over you or I have a word for you. And you're kind of like, yeah, I want you to pray for me. I don't know what this word is, but let's go for it. I mean, what? how do you guys deal with kind of those situations where you're like, we're not really sure where we're going with this whole prayer scene right now? That's the thing. I'm Lutheran, so that word thing doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to make it happen, yeah, James. There you go. Now, um, <laughs> it's going to be a personal growth thing. We'll okay, see. I have a couple of thoughts on unspoken. I have an unspoken word for you, James. <laughs> there. there you go. Exactly. Yeah, so unspoken. Okay, like, they're kind of weird. I'm just going to be honest. I think they're weird. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very vague. So, I mean, what's the question is for me, what's behind the unspoken? Is it like shame? Is this a personal thing you're going through? Is it pride? Um, would it otherwise be gossip? Like you just don't want to gossip about something, but you'd like prayer for this person, but you just don't want to gossip for them. Like to me, none of those should be an unspoken prayer request. Either if it's the gossip thing, just give it directly to God, right? Like, you can pray for that. That's cool. Um, or you can just at least make it a little more specific. Like, hey, I need wisdom for this specific circumstance. I can't say what it is because I don't want to be gossipy, but I could just use a lot of wisdom right now. I think that's okay. Um, otherwise, if it's like shame or pride for something, like be ready to admit your sin. And it doesn't have to be in a group. You know, if you're in a group and prayer requests are asked for, you don't have to say anything. But you can go to like a trusted friend or your pastor and say, hey, I'm struggling with this can you pray for me? I think that's much better than just being very vague and confusing and being, I haven't unspoken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to take from unspokens either. They're, they're kind of a weird vibe if I'm honest, but um, one thing I, I do kind of think of when I hear about people talking about unspoken prayer requests is uh, we're called as Christians to carry each other's burdens. And so if we don't know what your burden is or what you're dealing with, how are we supposed to, carry that for you? Or how are we supposed to lift that up to the Lord? Um, and I totally understand, you know, some things are very sensitive. and But then at the same time, make sure that you're praying for it. Make sure that you're going to God about that, because there's nothing that God doesn't know. And so I just want to make sure that it's not an unspoken um, with God as well, that, that he knows that you're transparent with him, because this Christian life is a vulnerable process. Um, but it's something that um, God wants to meet us in that vulnerability. Mm. I kind of go with what y'all are saying about this little unsure of how to handle it, sort of like lack of context again. Um, but I've been trying personally, whenever I hear unspoken, I immediately think the worst. I'm like, oh, that's that's happening? <laughs> and that's wrong for me to do that because I'm being too judgmental and I'm jumping to conclusions that I shouldn't be doing. And that's like, an issue I need to work on when it comes to someone else's unspoken prayer request, which is an interesting thing that a sin, a struggle of mine is being brought up by a person wanting me to speak to the Lord. And so that just makes me question, okay, Lord, how do I approach this well? How do I approach you well? How can I like actually pray for this person without thinking the worst of this person? And that's a struggle I need to work on personally. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, it just kind of makes me think, too, of other, you know, here's another scenario of, of where prayer can get awkward. Um, these are scenarios that have actually happened to me. So uh, say, for example, I've had someone ask me, um, can you pray, Lisa, that XYZ guy whom I'm interested in breaks up with his girlfriend? Or <laughs> oh, <laughs> can no. you pray that my horrible boss gets fired? Or can you pray? So things that are like very direct and you're just kind of like, I don't really know. So this is where I find that the whole like, if it's the Lord's will (laughs) comes into play and is very helpful here. Because again, I don't want to like preach a sermon at the person about like your prayers are ridiculous and I can't pray that way and whatever. But sometimes I find that just turning the conversation a little bit and being like, you know, or they want they want to vent about something and it's Mm -hmm. like venting. It's not really asking for prayer. It's just like I'm mad at this person and I'm just going to call it a prayer request and hope God smites them, you know, or something. (laughs) But I don't know. Do you guys have you guys ever had to navigate that kind of situation? Oh, yes. (laughs) Many a time. I mean, that's what it sounds like a passive aggressive way to get like, I don't know. Hey, God, can you do this for me? Because I don't want to address the situation myself. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of that because it's hard. Yeah. And and I mean God's not our genie. That's the thing. Like we got to realize like we're the point of prayer isn't really just to ask God like, "Hey, can you do this 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 and this for me?" Like that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about communicating with God. And we can ask him things, but that's really not, you know, he's not going to smite a relationship because <laughs> you want it. Like that's not how God works. Like that scene in Star Wars. That's not how the Force works. Like that's not how God works. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting because it reminds me of the story of Jonah, where he is like preached to Nineveh. He's like, "Okay, Lord, I did my thing. I'm standing up, looking at the city. Okay, now smack him down with fire." <laughs> yeah. And like I find it super interesting how he, the Bible gives that story that's very relatable to things that we still have to navigate now. Yeah. Good. We have um, talked before here on The Boundless Show about social media in general and just how it can be a, a quagmire of craziness on a number of levels. And, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think or you wouldn't hope that it would be a quagmire of prayer craziness, but it can be. And so I want to throw this out there and have you guys kind of discuss this. The idea that when we're on social media, now the whole world is open up to us. And it used to be, you know when you guys were like two years old, when we didn't have social media, um, that you actually just had to deal with people in real life and you had a very small circle. It's who you worked with. It's who you went to school with. It's who was in your neighborhood. Now we're keeping in touch with people from like our pasts. Okay. How do you show concern for all of these people? I mean, there are people that share prayer requests on social and have very real needs or are just sharing a situation in their life. How do you not get overwhelmed and incredibly burdened by all mm-hmm. the needs in the world, big, cosmic, and yeah. just the needs of the 3,000 friends that you have on Facebook or all the Instagram followers? How do you whittle that down and figure out, like, this is where I can legitimately enter in for this person and be a real support to them? And I don't know how to deal with the rest of this. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, like I said before, you know, I, I hear all these prayer requests, and a lot of times because they know that we're focused on the family, um, they don't hold back. There is no unshareables <laughs> or unspokens. Um, and from people going through real difficult life situations, um, and I think the first few months that I was at this job, you know, I carried that with me and carried that home. And I felt the burden of everyone's burdens and the sin of this world and the brokenness. And, um, 
And I was like, God, are, are you are you redeeming this world? Is like, is is your presence, is your Holy Spirit here? Are you working in it? Um, I know I'm meant to carry these burdens, but how do I do that? Um, and I think part of it was just like making it a aspect of part of my day where I'm like, okay, I'm serving, I'm praying, I'm lifting these prayer requests to the God, um, and I'm carrying their burdens. But at the end of the day, when I leave the office, the Lord takes it from there. And it's not all on me to be the support system. Like God is our supporter, our comforter, our encourager. Um, and then we need his help. We need him to constantly be there for them. We're not the hero in the situation as the person receiving the prayer request. And we need to be looking to the Lord. I think that's a thing that we have to really practice is wisdom. You know, knowing when we can help. And if you see something, it's like, oh, I... Maybe I know someone in that area a couple states away that can help you with this, so I'll recommend that. But, you know, we can't be responsible for everything because we're not God. And I think, you know, that is a curse of social media is that we we see a lot of stuff because a lot of stuff on social media is not positive. There's a lot of negatives always coming at us. So, you know, just being aware of that is helpful, knowing that... um, we can give that to God. It's nice. In our church, we do pray for the world and um, all the people and our country and our leaders and um, our church and stuff. We pray for a lot of things on Sunday mornings as a you know corporate body of Christ, right? So in that moment, I'm praying heartfeltly for a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean every day, every moment, I have to be worried about everything that's going on in the world because I am a single person and I can only do what I can, right? So knowing your limits, knowing that sometimes we got to give it to God. Mm-hmm. I can't really speak into the social media part since I don't have social media, mm-hmm. but it still applies to personal um, relationships, face-to-face relationships, where the person I'm praying for, that's the decisions that person is making. And I can pray over those decisions and pray for that person to have wisdom or pray for this situation to get better or the Lord just to really show up in that place. But I can't really have control over it. And that's where I need to recognize my own limits of when I start getting overburdened by the weight of all of the prayer requests in this entire world and all of my friends and all of that. I just need to recognize I am not in control and the Lord is. That's good. I think I found too, and and this is just a general, I think, prayer tip that has worked for me in in recent years. It's very easy to get overwhelmed with just the number of things I could be praying for. And so uh, praying throughout the day has been very helpful to me. So when something comes to mind, I just like turn it over to God. I just pray about it right then. If I know I have a whole list of things to work through, um, I use it for, uh, or I I do it on a walk or when I'm hiking or when I know, you know, I'm just going to have time alone. And I can do that. I know a lot of you listeners have talked to us about like your your morning run or your evening run is a great time to do that. Or just when you're working out, like lifting weights and you're just like, here we go. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I think it is just great to like utilize that time where, other, you know, you don't want to we never want to just empty our minds. Mm-hmm. That is not a good practice to just empty your mind and like fill it with whatever comes by. But to intentionally uh, truly invite uh, the Holy Spirit into a time with you and uh, to fill your mind with truth and with scripture and, and to then turn requests over to the Lord is a great uh, practice, I think, in any way. So 
Well, you guys, thank you so much for sharing some of your own experiences with us. I think this is helpful. And uh, to James's point, we do want to give Dave Sockeld, our engineer of 13 years, a fabulous, fabulous thank you. Thank you, Dave, for all your work. This is the last recording that Dave is actually working. Of course, you're, it's going to air now um, a ways after we're recording it. But we super appreciate Dave and the many contributions he's made to Boundless and to this show in particular. So thanks, Dave. I've walked among the shadows You wiped my tears away And I've felt the pain of heartbreak And I've seen the brighter days And I break rest to heaven For my lowest place And I have held the blessings God, you give and take away No matter what I have Your grace is enough No matter where I am, I'm standing in your love. On the mountains, I will bow my life to the one who set me there. In the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking down the valley, I know I Well, folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and I've got another author in the mix today. Um, but in addition to being an author, he's also um, been a pastor, specifically a youth pastor, uh, for a long time. Uh, now he's an author. He's also a speaker. Uh, I have got Jeff Grinnell with me. Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to the interview. <laughs> well, this is going to be fun because uh, you probably have submitted one of the most colorful and interesting uh, book covers to us that we've seen recently. And the title of the book is Gen Sex YZ or Sexy Z yeah. or Sex. Whatever we want to call it at this point, but basically <laughs> we're going to be ta- fun with it. Yeah, we're going to be talking about sex today. So, in case anyone was wondering, um, and largely just because of uh, the generations that we speak to, and of course we, uh, you've done a lot of work with teens, but also now um, with our audience specifically talking to younger adults. Um, really, this is something that because of the culture and because of a lot of confusion, we're finding the need to navigate a little more intentionally and. So I want to just jump right in with you, Jeff, and have the conversation and really have you, you, you talk early on in the book about, um, you know, making the case for why a healthy sexuality really starts with having a healthy theology. Explain to us why that's important. Well, again, you know, when you look at the, even the title, you can see the X generation being the parents, the Y generation being the millennials or the older brothers and sisters of the Gen Z, which would be teenagers. And when you look at the drop in in a biblical worldview from X, Y, and Z, it's dramatic, dramatic. And I think that has shaped the conversation. And so what happens is you have Gen X, the parents, who come in at about a 35% biblical worldview, okay, 
and if you back it up to the silence, the, the, the grandparents or the Gen X parents, they had about a 63% biblical worldview. So when you look at X, they dropped in half. Then you have X who had the millennials or Gen Y, and they have about a 19% biblical worldview, which is, a, again, a significant drop. But what has shocked all of us is when Gen Z came along, which would be teenagers today, they have a 4% biblical worldview. And so this dramatic drop from even the grandparents, which we don't really spend much time in the book with uh, the silence, but from a 65% to a 4% biblical worldview in four generations is a significant reason why we're where we're at, you know, mm -hmm. the sexual revolution is basically uh, the fruit of a lack of theology from one generation to to the next. And so the book is really trying to drive home the significance of forming a biblical worldview or a theology as it relates to um, the sexual revolution. Yeah. Now, it seems, and we've been having these conversations around the Boundless Show for a while now, um, you know, we're talking a lot about the rates of cohabitation among young adults. We're talking about the rates right. of, um, you know, sex outside of marriage and obviously redefining sexuality around LGBT issues. What would you say it seems that a lot of folks are using when they when they give their explanation for their particular sexual ethic? Um, it seems yeah, like it centers yeah. a lot around experience and feelings. And why would you say, <laughs> Jeff, that why in this last generation or two has experience and feelings trumped truth and God's will? Yeah, well, there's this huge uh, battle between culture and culture. And, you know, I think it's always been waged. But what has happened is you've had the church who was really uh, uh, who understood the theology. Uh, I'm going to say 20 years ago and, and before, and so scripture was always able to fight that war with culture because churches were solid in theology, families were solid in theology, and there was there was this biblical world that was pervasive. Right now. You have this loss of theology in the church, and boy, that would be a whole other podcast, but <laughs> a loss of theology in the family, sure, which is, to me, the greatest problem and the greatest solution in our society, the, the family is. You know, I, I mentioned in the book how if the family could, could raise healthy kids, it could transform and build healthy societies. But since the family is so broken— uh, when it comes to theology, then we have this result that we're looking at. So to me, it's that cultural, scriptural war that's being waged. And right now, the church and the home are not able to even compete in that. When the church came late to the party called Millennials, <laughs> they actually ended up missing the party called Gen Z. And when you do that, you get so far behind culture with, you know, the technology age that we're in. And now theology is really meology. As you said, it becomes meology or it's feelings versus faith or it's popularity versus principle. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I you actually go into um, in the book uh, really some definitions for some some terms that um, maybe it would be helpful for us to go over. You define words sure. like your biblical words that are used in scripture, words like yada and porneia. Why is it significant for us to know the root of some of these words? Yeah, well, because I think the the, the first key with that terminology that and. Man, the, the whole chapter, I think it's the second chapter on theology, is it, it, so critical to the foundation of our belief that um, it's been misused and misrepresented so often. And so even though I wrote the book for teenagers, which I believe can handle a lot more than we think, <laughs> and young adults, whom I believe are much wiser and smarter and able to handle truth more than most of us you know, think, even though I wrote it from their perspective, the simplicity of understanding those words is all over the book. And, you know, we could look at just uh, porneia and realize that Jesus used that word, Matthew 5, Matthew 15, Matthew 19. Paul used that word, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, Ephesians 5, etc. <laughs> um, and John used that word. And so when you, and so did Jude and, and others, but when you look at the main authors who use those words, then shouldn't we understand those? And just that word porneia is really simple, because it is basically an overarching word that umbrellas or encompasses sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So even though we know the argument is, okay, there's no specific word for homosexuality or incest, right, or bestiality. What there is is a clear definition of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, and that would be uh, the, the word porneia and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think you actually talk that through using Matthew 15 as an example of why, yes. you know, a lot of people will say, okay, well, the Old Testament, that's where they got all crazy, right. you know, about homosexuality. But Jesus was totally different. He was much more, you know, forgiving of that and even even accepting and promoting of that. And you're saying that that in and of itself is a bad theology on that front. Well, yeah, you know, when I hear people say things like Jesus never had anything to say about it, Really, it, that's incorrect. Now, I, I would agree with them. He didn't have much to say about it, but what he did say was very clear. <laughs> and what what he did was go back to Moses and quote Moses. So what he was doing was saying, you, you know, as we know that he fulfilled the law, um, Moses had something to say about gender, marriage, and sex in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And Genesis chapter 5. Um, gender, he created male and female. Marriage, told them to, to, to be married, to become husband and wife, leave their, uh, their other families, right? And then finally, to have sex. And that is to uh, their sexuality, beyond their sexuality of gender, to have sex and to fill the earth. And so when you look at those three things, what Jesus was saying was, when he used that word porneia, was you've heard what Moses said. I'm supporting that. And then he takes it a step further and puts it into the mind, even, you know, uh, matters of the heart. <laughs> so really what we're, what we're finding is, even though Jesus didn't say much about that, Jesus had a, a very clear, concise statement that was exactly what Moses said uh, in 
Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 5. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to actually touch on that even a little bit more because I want to walk through some of these social waves that you outline in the book. Sure. Um, You were talking on the very front end of the interview what what really is a summary of number one, uh, the religious revolution wave and this idea that, you know, these generations, younger adults and now teenagers are uh, demonstratively lacking in the religious realm, uh, either choosing to have no faith or having a faith but not understanding it. Um, which is very problematic. And we were just uh, talking through some of the examples of that and really how foundationally without that understanding and and understanding why you believe what you believe, uh, you're not going to have any kind of uh, compass uh, in general. Um, But I want to kind of go into, because we have limited time, I want to go into numbers two and three, which um, are very, uh, they were very telling to me because uh, you talk about, uh, and I'll say what they are, number two being the social sexuality and marriage wave, and then number three, the gender nonconforming wave. Both of these waves are exceedingly recent in our culture. Um, For if, sure. If we look back at social sexuality and marriage wave, you actually hearken back to and reference uh, September of 1993 when Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act. Lots, in our, lots of folks in our audience were like born in the 90s. So this was like that long ago, okay? Um, no, that's right. And now we're saying like in more recent years, obviously in uh, June 2015, we had the legalization of gay marriage. Um, and now even in this last year or two, the amount of conversation we're having around um, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, gender identity is really blowing up in our culture as well. So Jeff, if you could address kind of both of those and how you're seeing uh, younger adults in the church needing to wrestle with this and understand it. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the social waves, um, young adults understand it because they've lived through those in their movies, in their music, um, on their phones, in their hand. So they've seen the news, they've seen the language and the terminology. And so it's really, to be honest, that chapter is really written for parents and leaders who may not understand that terminology so they can have the right uh, conversations. And what I've found is when you talk about the, the terminology, it has changed. Like, I think there's over 55 terms that I put in the book. Actually, I only put about 30 in there, but I, I, I mentioned there are like 55 of them. And that gender confusion Now, we can get away with that word because some people don't mind that word, but uh, when you use dysphoria, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it kind of sets off a match, you know, with certain people. And understand that word dysphoria was not even used by the church. That was used by medicine, the the Journal of American Medicine, the JAMA. It's used by uh, hospitals in their terminology, and obviously they're trying to get that changed now, but... Some people will put that wave on the church and that we came up with this, you know, destructive language. Or, um, but it's really not true. That's, that did not come from the church. It came from medicine and psychology. And so when you look at those waves, just to at least even understand those, when someone says to you, listen, the church started the hate debate, and they start with education and information, you can say, no, 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 that's not true. The church did not start that. Now, the church has done a poor job grace and really emphasize truth, uh, that would be a whole other discussion maybe, but I, I think when it comes to the waves, just understanding the terminology and the history of when these came about, 
it will help us with that, uh, you know, the gay hate debate, as they say. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is one of those things that, you know, between those who are in um, positions of power or, you know, certainly how Mm -hmm. parents kind of uh, guided the conversation in the home is going to play into this, what educational institutions have have done in the conversation. It all uh, all contributes to that. And so um, it is tough because I think there's a lot of, you know, again, like this this whole kind of hate towards evangelicals. And like you said, blaming the conversation uh, can be problematic when we're just trying to say, hey, this is what God's word says. This is what the science says. And and let's go forward with that. Um, All right. Well, then you talk about uh, the fourth wave you mentioned is the sex ed revolution wave. Um, Mm. And you actually tell a story of you're talking really a lot here about peer pressure. Tell us the story about the young guy that you had the chance to talk to who came to you assuming that he was gay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have these conversations, even when you bring this up, um, Lisa, I have these conversations regularly. Um, Like since the book came out, I I even received a direct message on my socials from another student saying, when I read that page, it totally set me free. And basically what has happened multiple times is students who come to me and say things like, man, I think I'm gay. And they really are embarrassed or shamed over that. And I will often say, you know, I, I treat them the same way as saying, L- listen, talk to me. Talk to me about that. Where did that come from? And sometimes they can't even look at me, right, like the story in the book. But I'll, I'll say to them, no, look at me. Look at me in the eyes. And I'll tell them, you're not gay. You might be struggling with homosexuality, but, you know, there's a difference between homosexual attraction and homosexual action. And that has set people free. So, like, you know, I tell the story. When you walk into a store, if you forget your, let's say you don't have an iPhone charger, right? And uh, you're tempted, you're getting gum, you're getting, you know, you're a young adult and you don't have a lot of money. (laughs) And you're running out of money, but you've got to have the phone charger and you, you have food in your hand, too. And so maybe you slip the phone charger into your pocket, right? You get up to the cash register and you say, I can't do this. And you put it back down and you walk out. Well, the temptation doesn't mean that you sinned. And I think it's the same way when it comes to this conversation with, uh, with homosexuality. In this conversation, there's this temptation and there's this action. And just to feel a certain way does not mean that we have caved in or given in the mark, hamartia, the Greek word hamartia, missed the mark and sinned. And I think sometimes um, we, we turn feeling into faith or, or reality. We turn emotion into an ethic, and that's really not true. Ethics are more important than emotion, and faith is more important than feelings, right? And so what I try to get them to understand in that conversation is, let's be honest here. Is this a feeling, right? Is this just a feeling that you're struggling with, or is this a decision that you are making, and now this is the course of your life? And so I, I think that conversation is really important uh, to have with people when they open up to us rather than condemning them to communicate. Like, I like to say it this way. I don't want to win an argument and lose a relationship. Mm-hmm. It, it's not worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the church has tried to win arguments and lose, and we lose the relationship so we have no one to share truth with. 
Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because I know you detail this in the book that kind of the, the, you know, the, um, I guess the place that that story started is that he's coming to you and saying that he's assuming he's gay because his family and friends told him he was because of how he acted. And it's like, we're allowing others to define who we are rather than who God says we are, you know, and, and again, it's getting back to this. uh, There's no fixed mark. We're kind of just taking, you know, testing the wind um, as it comes at us. And I think that's so important for us to to buck that trend and to to look to truth. Um, okay, so Jeff, just in our last couple minutes, I kind of want to turn it back mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to the conversation that we have here at Boundless so often around um, sex outside of marriage and around uh, cohabitation, a lot that's going on. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of folks that just ask us and they're like, okay, well, Lisa, how do I navigate this? among my friends, because I am with people in small group, I'm at my church, and there are people there that are just like in my ministry or in my Sunday school class or whatever, and they're just living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. What would you recommend to them, Jeff, in having a conversation that upholds God's truth and yet doesn't allow other, I mean, again, we're going to face persecution. Yeah. We're going to have to take a stand. That's just where it is. But, you know, yeah. they, they want to confront someone kindly and lovingly and truthfully without being some kind of weirdo mm-hmm. of like, you know, just angry and judgmental and acting like they have the corner on all truth. How do they go about doing Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on which arguments you want to win. You know, um, if, you're, if we're talking about the argument of bringing someone to faith in Christ, then who they're living with is not that important at this point, this moment, right? And, and I think that's where we've gone wrong. We want to uh, – here's another phrase that I use in the book. We want people to behave before they belong. Mm-hmm. And that's just that, – that's not the gospel to me. And, you know, I love the phrase where Jesus said in Luke, he sat with the sinners and he was cozy with the crooks. That's one version says that, that he sat with the sinners and he was cozy with the crook. Today, we would not even, we wouldn't allow anyone, you know, ministers for sure, to be seated with sinners or cozy with crooks, right? We would become judgmental of their uh, motives. And, and so I think that we have to separate the relationship building with the truth giving. And, um, you know, like, you know, Paul said it, but grace and truth. He didn't say grace or truth. He said grace and truth. And I think sometimes we've moved to truth so quickly that we've forgotten, which is so important, but then we've forgotten the grace or the relationship. And so what I like to share with that specific example that you're giving is, Listen, you need to build the relationship with those people that you are, you know, having that conversation with and let them know that that relationship is as important as the truth. Because if we come at them and say, listen, if you break up with each other, and you move out, then I'll invite you to church, you know, or uh, then we can have this conversation. I'm only going to be your friend if, right? I'm only going to be your friend if parents right now who are hearing this or young adults who are hearing this who might say, I had a friend, and I'm really close to them, and they won't talk to me because of how what my principles say. Well, I think at times we're going to have to put people in front of the principle, build that relationship so that now we have a bridge to share the principle. So, yeah, to me it is 
I don't care if, if you guys are living together. I want to go out with you. Can we can we have dinner tonight and, and talk? Because I think now we've entered into a bridge relationship that is able to share the truth. It's that argument of content and context. People who are content heavy really don't care about context as, as much. They're like, you know what? It's, it's, it's that truth argument. And then sometimes people with context are like, no, listen, we just need to love them, but we never give them truth. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be in the context of my friends, but I can't forget the content, the truth. I want to have the, the message, you know, on the content side, message and the truth, but I can't hang out with people who don't respect it. And to me, content and context are king and queen. It is a marriage that can't be separated. Well, and obviously for that person that is a self-proclaimed believer in the church and kind of in this space, you know, then we have to apply the scriptures of, you know, honestly— having the conversation, Mm. confronting someone in their sin, loving them, including them, saying that, you know, if they're declared righteous before God, that doesn't mean God loves them less, but he also doesn't want to leave them in their sin. And so that's That's an important distinction, I think, to make. But but, uh, yeah, excellent point about speaking to unbelievers as well. Yeah. And then think about what you said there, too, because I think we struggle with that. When does the truth come? (laughs) Is the truth the first part of the relationship? I think sometimes what has happened is we have struggled with where do we enter the truth? Is it initial or is it supplemental? You know, say yes. I think there are times when we're speaking with people, it can be initial and it should come up front. But there are other times when we want to win and we want to build relationship so that we have the access into their life to bring the truth. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, good stuff. I mean, there's so many more places oh, we could my. go with this, but um, we've been talking to Jeff Grinnell. He's the author of Gen Sex YZ and uh, the founder of Youthology, uh, pastor, author, speaker. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, writing the book and for sharing with our audience today and for what you're doing with those that are coming up behind us, uh, those teens and their parents who are trying to navigate this on the front end as well. Yeah, um, yes, yeah absolutely. I, Absolutely. Well, I do want to let you know as the listener uh, that we want to make this book available to you for a gift of any amount to focus on the family and boundless.org, which we know that you love what we're Mm -hmm. up to anyway. Um, So you just go uh, to this episode. Um, You can just look it up uh, either by the title itself, or you can type in 696. That's the show number. And you'll see the book cover there. Just click on it and uh, a gift of any amount, literally whatever you can afford to Boundless. And we will send this gift as our thank you to you. So Jeff, thank you so much for being part of this conversation today. Yes. Yes. And please let your listeners know too. I would love to be in conversation with them on any of my socials or at at our website at youthology.com. Absolutely. We will have the links there. So thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate Appreciate it. Struck down, persecuted, under pressure, man, that's how we do it. We at war, we at war, but have you even looked at the scoreboard? Scoreboard, scoreboard, W's all day, what you scared for? Scared for, scared for, ain't nothing coming at us that we ain't prepared for. Already know. Oh,
All right. Well, we are opening up this week's inbox, and I'm going to answer this week's question. And so it is great to be with you. And uh, here we go. Our listener says, I listened to the recent interview with Jonathan Pakluda, and he's encouraging guys to ask the godliest girl out and for girls to say yes. I live in a very small town and attend a great church, but there aren't many young people. I don't have a lot of options and truly believe God is directing me to stay in my small town. I will be starting nursing classes in the fall, and I've prayed and believe I should go to the community college in my area. How do I navigate being content as a single in a rural town when I don't feel a need to change locations? So, um, okay, great question. And yeah, it is kind of hard when you're like, ah, am I just completely sabotaging my chances? But you kind of answered, um, well, I wouldn't say you answered your own question, but your answer is kind of within your question because you said you feel called to stay. And so I think that for you is enough ground to go on um, right now, and hopefully that will help you. I mean, if God is telling you to stay where you are, then stay and trust him for the outcome. So, you know, God is not limited by small towns. I lived in a small town for a while, and, you know, it's not like I'm married, but (laughs) I still was able to date, and God moved me on from that town. I mean, again, remember, your situation is not necessarily forever, and you clearly have things to do there. You want to go to nursing school. You've picked out a school that you think is going to be a good fit for the time being, and so I think that is a great thing. Um, You know, small towns, you can meet someone in a small town if God is in it. Conversely, you could be living in New York City, and if God is not in that, you're not going to meet anyone or meet anyone that, you know, ultimately is going to make a great mate. And so the key factor here is God being present in this. And so, um, you know, in the meantime, it's not like you just stay idle. Again, there are online opportunities to meet people, um, maybe widen your net to maybe surrounding towns or the region that you're in. Uh, Certainly ask people to set you up uh, if they know people that maybe are outside of your area, but come into your area to visit family members, friends, stuff like that. And then don't be limited um, only to your church. You mentioned it being small, but you know, there are other churches in the area. I always love it when churches kind of get together and maybe do a community-wide event for single young adults and something that maybe you can even help plan. And so the bottom line is don't be discouraged. Uh, Many people have gotten married despite limiting circumstances as far as geography and more. And so God knows your situation. He knows if he wants you to get married, he even knows to whom you will get married someday. And so be encouraged by that and trust him with the details. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org and we will answer your question in the future. And certainly search boundless.org for questions that we have already answered because they might be helpful to you. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on family. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I Have Called You By Name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series, The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.